Yeah, I didn't know they had lemonade, and I was just like, oh, they have lemonade? I want to try this, because I looked at the ingredients on the back. Water, sugar, lemon. I'm like, okay, perfect. See? <laughs> Simply. Yeah. So, yeah. Lemonade, it's a cool, refreshing drink. Ah, there's a, there's a classic callback. Well, guys, we got to win this race. <laughs> we got to win this race. And you're going to set Jeff off. You know that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> My God, I was, uh, I was stumbling across some... Uh, old uh i'm not exactly sure how it's they started popping up in my youtube feed but i started getting those carson clips really and oh. uh, so like johnny uh, carson right? yes okay and they, they would do like drew carey's first appearance on carson which i watched and then that triggered other things amongst them was uh eddie murphy's first appearance which i, I that i don't think that was part of it but I can't remember if that I think was of that of live or raw. Yeah. That was... Or, or not uh, live. That uh, was delirious. Raw or delirious. delirious. Yeah, yeah, it was delirious. Yeah. Why? Because it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> raw is okay. It's... Raw, raw is a lot more edgy. It's not... It's more of a... If I remember correctly, that was the one that was... He was inspired to do that one by... Staring um, at my ass. I can feel it getting hot. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it's 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 definitely edgier. It's, it's right. He wore the red leather. It's dirtier, kind of as a tip of the hat to Pryor, didn't he? Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's what I was going to say. But yeah, uh, that was his Richard Pryor moment because he had always been inspired by Richard Pryor and several of Pryor's last few stand-up routines before he kind of quit doing stand-up. He really got that edgier material and yeah. was really pushing the boundaries. So that was Eddie's um, yeah. attempt at. You know, honoring him, his his legacy. You see people talking about uh, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've stumbled across a couple couple younger guys like doing reactions to George Carlin. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I can't do it. Go ahead, I'm coming back to this. But uh, it's really funny. Uh, you don't hear too many people talking about Pryor anymore. You don't, do you? It which really surprised. Which you know, it's it kind of sad because. He definitely was a, a he inspired pioneer through and through. Yeah, yeah. And I just I I was I was just sitting there re- as Jeff's talking. I realized that I, you don't see a lot of people talking about Pryor. And he was Shh. really groundbreaking. Yes, he was. And yeah. not just for I mean more so for the black community, but really for pushing the envelope with comedy in general. You yeah. know, getting getting that kind of observational humor out there. And talking about his experiences, mm-hmm. I mean, and I remember after he uh, was it, he let himself on fire when he was like freebasing the freebase, and then he came back and he was brutally honest about it in his act. He's like, I know all the jokes y'all are telling, and he takes out a liar and you know, what's this? And he holds the liar up and he goes across the in front of him and he's like Richard Pryor running down the street, <laughs> and everybody's laughing. And then he talks about Jim Brown. Yeah. Coming to take him into rehab. Let me bring everybody into this. We'll come back to Uh it. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 538. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Comedy K. And we're to talk Week in Geek. Please continue. Um, And Jim Brown, and the way Pryor was all like, what you gonna do about it? And he's like, Jim, I ain't afraid of you. I'm a... You know, and he's just like, I know you're not. 
but what you gonna do about it? And it just, just, just this incredible passive aggressive. And he did a great job of just conveying Jim Brown's big, massive presence and just uh, basically getting him into rehab. Really, really, it was something. I just Uh-oh. can't get into reaction videos. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not decrying anybody who loves them, by all means. I, I understand the appeal. Uh, but I, I don't, except for Mystery Science Theater, I don't like watching other people watch other things. <laughs> oh, okay. I, 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 I thought that was where you were going with the reaction videos, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. Even the ones that are like... Even uh, the ones featuring uh, the uh, Impractical Jokers, that, that new series that just started? Oh, the, the, oh wait, the, uh, the game show? Yeah. That's terrible. Is it? Oh yeah, I watched two episodes of that. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't. It's, it's, it, it didn't look very appealing from a from no. a the, the, presentational standpoint. The structure like, of the game isn't great, and frankly, the guys aren't great at scripted comedy. When it comes down to it, they're really good at improv, uh-huh. but you can tell they've done some scripting for this. I see. And I mean, they do the occasional off the cuff thing that you can tell struck them in the moment. But yeah, it's it's just not very good. So yeah, I, I was I was excited because I love some jokers, but yeah, not for me. Fair enough. But uh, but even like when you have like ones that are probably would be the most interesting to me, like like professional dialect coach <clears throat> watches right movie dialects in action or whatever or mm-hmm. or professional uh, aviator looks at uh, aviation scenes in movies or whatever even those i'm like i don't i don't want to watch you watch wow. things but again that's that's just my so you've never watched vocal coach watches nope. axel rose or the, nope. the one that funny. i saw this week was uh the um voice uh actors reacting to people doing versions of the their characters and uh you had uh, um patrick warburton and you could tell he was just being really nice about it because some of these people the, the the ones that they picked were not very close to his now that that I and that hate. was vanity fair that um, i hate it's like you know well let's 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 do some stupid stuff to watch you react to that is yeah and uh yeah because uh, you know chad uh-huh chad they you know like 20 years ago 10 years ago chad used to work at star trek the experience yes did and it, did he was he well he, he was good at voices in general right he was pretty good at voices in general and he could have blown the because uh he he was i never got to see his clip but he was on the jamie kennedy experiment oh that's right because yeah, they I got they got him the riff on voices and he went into chad mode and blew the roof off and the funny thing, too, is like he he was telling me about that and just he's like, there's so much footage they didn't use. And he was telling the full story. And I'm like, how long were you there? And he's like, I was there like hour, hour and a half at least. And, and, <laughs> he's and got the, it. on the show is it's like, what, five, seven minutes tops? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I can see Chad going on for an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah, he's, so. he's many voices in that. Yeah, movie. he could do an entire G.I. Joe episode all by himself. Yeah. So, so, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? I didn't watch G.I. Joe. Didn't watch G.I. Joe? No. That, you know, it's, a, it's an option for many of us to not watch G.I. Joe. I watched the... I feel sorry for the few that it's not an option they have to watch. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
the few, the proud, the sad. Um, I watched some um, Star Wars gallery, which is uh, behind the scenes Mandalorian stuff. Yes, and I watched a little of that myself. Yeah, director's roundtable and stuff like that. <clears throat> Tell me about it. Cool. Uh, it was interesting. It's interesting seeing uh, the directors and listening to them talk about what they're doing, talking about how they feel about Star Wars. Uh, Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. I am so impressed listening to that man speak. Yeah, yeah. He he all of a sudden became the king of Star Wars in my eyes. Yeah. I know he's been for many because he's the guy behind Clone Wars, the animated series. In fact, watching that episode got me to start watching Clone Wars again. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I'm starting over with it and returning to it and watching it. I'm more impressed now than I was before, and I think it's just because I've gotten used to the art style, which took a little while for me at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, the storytelling is pretty impressive. And, and right, I know yeah. I mentioned this before when I started watching it way back when. I'm surprised at the body count in an animated series. Mm-hmm. They are not afraid to kill clones and aliens. Yeah. I mean... You know, you know your heroes are going to survive intact. It's right. still that kind of show. Although, I, I'm I'm I haven't seen it to the end, and I, at the end it gets much more darker, and the stakes get higher. Right, right. That's what I heard. So, I, I look forward to continuing this adventure, but especially knowing that Filoni is in charge of it. I'm trying. I'm trying, but man, that that first season, the first and second, it, it has first season itis. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and part of it that I. I'm enjoying it is that I have seen all the first season before, so I'm kind of revisiting it mm. and enjoying it, having my expectations exactly where they need to be. Wasn't second season a little weak too? Because I seem to remember some complaints about it, and then and then all of a sudden the yeah. complaints just kind of it, disappeared. It's like Buffy; it really doesn't kick into gear until halfway through the second season. Okay, because I remember my uh. nephew. You know, he was you know seven or eight at the time. He was watching it, and I just. I'm sitting there going, I'm like, it's Star Wars. I should enjoy this, <laughs> and it's just not good. Sure. And I th- want to say it was second season that he was watching, and just I was just like, yeah, I can't with the dialogue. Plus, there was the issue that you could tell they only had a handful of voice actors doing the majority of the characters, and that, that was because you could tell it was the same actor doing a different voice, but the the vocal tone was so similar you you could tell it was the same person and i just it was starting to get on my nerves but paul dini's on the writer staff of yeah. the show i mean it's it's yeah. got yeah pedigree yeah uh I, I think one thing that hurts it especially at the beginning is that it is a show aimed for kids right and not that star wars isn't aimed for kids anyway well, yeah true uh, but it i think has a little more heavier weight toward kids because of its being broadcast in the middle of the afternoon yeah. for children. And so that's, they know who they're aimed for, so they're careful with how they do things. Whereas PG, you can get away with a little bit more. <clears throat> but I, I think that's what hamstrung it a little at the beginning. But mm-hmm. uh, but I'm enjoying my revisit. I, I'm hoping nothing too shiny distracts me so I can actually watch the whole thing. You mean like uh, getting back at Vlarg for listen, getting back at you listen, for getting you, back at Vlarg you ready to open this can? You? Oh ready? boy! <laughs> All right, you want ready? You want to open this? That's right. some fun stuff. Jesus Those Christ! Those videos are cracking me up. Yeah, they're great. I, yeah. I love how Barry went into this whole. <laughs> he's actually got a 
a testing ground for his his pranks on Torgo. He literally has an air a walled off area that has a door. No, no, he no, he doesn't. He has a second creative mode. Oh, is that what that is? So he can float around and use as many bricks as he wants to build everything out. And to be fair, a lot of professional Minecrafters out there who do videos. They test their stuff in creative mode, build it there before oh. they go into survival to build it. Just one, to make sure it works, and two, to make sure they can have the aesthetics right. So he's doing right by professional. So I, I can't poo-poo him trying this stuff out in creative first. But he is building his pranks in survival mode. So so hats off. So just to bring everybody in, I, I do, before I get into this part, because Minecraft, hi, welcome back. It's Minecraft, Warhammer, Warhammer, Warhammer. <laughs> um. For those of you that are interested, uh, Barry has opened up his realm to pretty much any and all shock monkeys who want to play. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, three just that just joined yesterday. Ooh. So uh, if you have ever had an interest in Minecraft or just enjoy playing Minecraft, even just now and then, uh, message Vlarg uh, on Facebook. You can find him in the Shock Monkeys Lair Facebook page. And uh, he'll get you the information on joining the lair. It doesn't cost anything except the cost of Minecraft. And the version we are using is the Bedrock Edition. Uh, why that is important. There are two editions of Minecraft. There's the original Java Edition, which is its own ecosystem. And then there's the Bedrock Edition. That's the one that's been developed with Mohang uh, for Microsoft since they bought it. Uh, there's subtle differences between the two, but the two don't match. So if you have the Java edition, you can't play Bedrock and vice versa. Uh, that's why when I'm playing, I'm playing two games. I'm playing the Bedrock edition with Barry, and I'm playing the Java edition uh, on uh, Professor Addy's server. So I've got, boy, keeping those two things separate has been fun in the head. Sounds like mm. a challenge. Uh, but... Uh, so if you want to join us, feel free. And now I know Barry's really pushing this Team Torgo, Team Barry. It's not what it's about because when it comes down to it, Barry and I and Deb and Aaron and everybody else that's currently on the server, we are building a community within it. And we are doing a lot of cooperative stuff and helping one another as well. It's just that Barry and I like to poke at each other really, really hard. And that's become the focus of the videos on my Master Torgo YouTube channel. Uh, I'll be uploading another video because uh, uh, I've, uh, something else happened on my base. Uh, uh, Barry created basically an earthquake yeah, in front of my wow. base. Um, uh, I, he didn't upload his video until after I saw it. So when I upload it, it will be my first initial reaction, not knowing that anything. I was just going to log on and play. And of course, something was there. So yeah, balls in my court. But right now, Barry and I are having kind of a small truce because we spent so much time pranking each other that we're not getting anything else done in the game. <laughs> we've got stores to build. We've got uh, we've got places to expand. Barry and Deb defeated the dragon yesterday, so that opens up the final end world to everybody now. So that's another whole thing. That's going to bring those flight wings I was telling you about. Oh Kristen. yeah, flight wings. So Barry already got found his. He found his today, I guess. And so I got to go out and find some that they're not easy to get. So it's it's meant for an end of game kind of thing. So you pretty much have to be strong enough to beat the dragon to be able to go find these wings. So if you are interested in Minecraft and want to join us, um, Barry and Deb are on there a lot. I tend to log on late at night. Uh, usually if I go on, I'm on for like an hour or two. 
Uh, I've been spending most of my time this week juggling between Minecraft and painting and model modeling. So that's that's been what my geeky stuff this week. Uh, the ship and the modeling is coming along. I'm very starting to get happy with it. Before I was just like, oh, will this ever work? Uh, my way of I've, get, I've been having a problem with the decals. They've been shattering, and that's pretty much the main part of the detail on this Enterprise that I'm working on uh, for Two Broke Geeks, Matt. Um, so I'm creating my own film on the decal over the top of it. Um, I, I put on the largest one I've done so far, and it's been the best thus far. It's working. I like how it's coming together. It's making those decals really thick and really tough, which makes for placing really nice, Getting them softened up again is kind of a challenge so that they lay nice and don't curl up on the sides, but it's working. So now I'm about to tempt the big decal. I was originally going to do it in fours, uh -oh. but since they seem, these big ones seem to be holding together, I'm going to try it in one piece, I think. Uh -oh. So yeah, this, this, this is the biggest part of the challenge. If I can get this to work, then that is like 40% less work I have to do later on. So I'm, I'm crossing my fingers on it. Now, with the techniques that you've been developing doing this now, does that mean if you were to do a model in the future, you'd be able to like pre-treat the entire sheet of decals to prevent this kind of thing from happening with them shredding? What I or? would do is I would do a test decal uh, mm -hmm. first. I would, I, I would put my trust in that first you got to do a lot of research. One, go uh -huh. on, online, see how people have dealt with these decals. Mm -hmm. Do they suck? And on this one, every time you go on this model online, everybody says the decals suck. Once in a while, somebody finds a good sheet. Most decals that come with models are pretty good. If they're an old model, I would probably do one, I'll do like a small one that I could paint on later on if it, if it cracked. And if that cracks, then I know I have to do the sheet. Uh, if it doesn't crack, then I can have faith that the rest of it's going to work as well. So it's, it's, it's kind of a trial and error as far as that modeling goes. But, uh, but yeah, progress. I love it. It's, it's starting to come together. And uh, I'm about three-quarters of the way through with the Fallout miniatures. Okay. Um, uh, one of them's done completely, and uh, the other ones are all in late stages. So, so I'll probably be done with that within a couple of weeks at this point. So, so that stuff's going good. Minecraft's fun. So, yeah, if you want to join us, again, go to Shock Monkey's Lair. Find Barry on there. You'll find he's put a posting up there. Message him, and uh, he will get you on the realm. But again, you have to have the Bedrock Edition. Now, the Bedrock Edition is for uh, Windows, it's for Xbox, and it is for uh, mobile. Now, the Bedrock Edition is also on the PS4, but unfortunately, so far, they haven't been able to incorporate cross-platform play on PS4, meaning you can't join realms. It's in the planning uh, but they haven't been able to execute it yet for some reason. So unfortunately, if you only have it on PS4, you won't be able to join the realm. So, uh, which kind of sucks because I have Bedrock on PS4. I'd like to be able to sit in the living room and play it too. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, so if you do have it on Xbox, if you do have it on the PC, uh, the mobile edition is not so great, but you can do it on that. And uh, yeah, so so join us, and and I, I, I we will be nice. We're we're not we're a nice server. Go find a spot that, that you want to be all yours. We have a central hub of a town. Barry is selling plots 
to build stores on there, much like the uh, Hermitcraft server does. We're, we're taking a lot of our learnings from the big Hermitcraft server on how to run this thing. So, in fact, uh, the two shops I'm, I'm going to be building, a saddle and name tag shop, and then the other one is a franchise of uh, professional Minecrafter Corrales has a shop called Looky Looky at My Bookie, which is a bookshop. That, so I will be a franchisee of that bookshop. So I'll be hopefully opening both of those sometime this week. Wow. Bookshop. Yeah, Enchanted Bookshop. Very important. Oh, Enchanted. Men mending books. I have now procured the ability to create efficiency five enchantments. So big stuff for you Minecraft people. You know Ooh, it. Efficiency five, Jeff. Unbreaking three. Indeed. You Minecraft people know. The rest of you are like, fuck you, Torgo. Talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> I just like watching things get destroyed. Uh, and then there will be more of that. I, I have plans. And they are in action, but they take some... Uh, Pre-production, pre let's just say that, that I'm in the middle of. But uh, giving Barry a rest, giving myself a little rest. Uh, what I'll probably do this week, one, I'll be putting out the video of discovering the earthquake. And I'll also be doing kind of a, a video of a tour of the uh, Minecraft realm as we have it built thus far. So that anybody who wants to join can kind of already be familiar with how the place looks and know how to get around. Yeah, Barry was very impressed with your uh, your puffer fish <laughs> uh, trap. Puffer, okay. I, I have to give credit where credit is due. I got that idea from professional Minecrafter Green, who is a <laughs> fantastic pranker out there. Uh, I'm sure Barry's got some of his ideas from Green as well. Um, but yeah, the the whole idea is you have to go capture live pufferfish in the ocean. There are only a certain area of it where the tropical fish are. Now, pufferfish are poisonous in the game, so if you get close to them, they puff out. If you touch them, you get poisoned, and it lasts for about three hearts. So it's just a light poisoning, but if you get a bunch of them together, it can kill you. Um, so I hid, I'm not going to say how many, but I hid quite a few in and around his base, and I hid them under the stones, and their reach is strong enough they can actually reach through stone blocks. So if he's brushes up against a certain door or a certain ground block, uh, he will get poisoned and out of nowhere. Yeah, he only showed one, but he tore out like the whole wall oh, yes, to figure to out, find where, out what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he didn't show the actual process of tearing out the whole wall. He had a jump cut to the wall being completely torn out <laughs> and, and he's like this is what he did <laughs> i had to tear out the whole wall to figure it out but and, and so if you want to find those shenanigans it's on barry's um, youtube channel which is uh houston dungeon master and it is the one where he is creating my sand quake uh prank uh but halfway through that is when he discovers that's my prank on him that's so. great i want to hear that See, listening to you guys, if I was to do Minecraft, my pranks, I would just, I'd just booby trap the hell out of my own base. Yeah. I just, oh. I just make a base and I would just, I just make it full of booby traps and that's all my base would be. Here's something you don't know. Um, <laughs> Diamond Tori, I'll talk about something else. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, he said your portal looked like it was walled off. Yes. <laughs> He's like, what the? Let's discuss that. Um, so after I died, after he put uh, the thing above my base, the scaffolding all the way to the top, and I fell off and died for this only the second time in the game, uh, I was mad. 
<laughs> I was so mad. And, and so uh, I, after that moment, I filmed this, but I didn't put it up because I didn't want him to know I'd done it. I had put, because I will not destroy other people's bases. That's part of the rules. You don't destroy other people's things. But I will gladly destroy my own base if it means punishing someone else. So, since we're all connected in the portal, what I did is, in my portal, I put TNT traps on both sides of it. So, simple ones. TNT with a pressure plate. You step on the pressure plate. The TNT is lit, and it goes off. And then I boxed the whole portal in obsidian, which is pretty much TNT resistant and pretty much resistant to everything but the strongest of tools, which means if you go through there and set off the TNT, it's going to kill you. Anybody that walks into my base. Now, the problem is it got set off the first time because zombie pigmen can walk through your portal and enter your base. And they're just they're they're. They're creatures that don't hurt you unless you hurt them, so they're harmless. But they'll occasionally walk into your base and just wander around, and one did and set it off. And and I didn't know if it was Barry or not, but it turned out to be a pigman. So I reset it, and then that's that's when uh, Barry let me know that he set up a portal in Hobbiton, which is the central hub of town. And unfortunately, that portal hooked to my base, so when he, instead of... Uh, the the regular the nether went to, to, so it went to my base end up in my base set off the tnt went boom which then destroys the portal itself so <laughs> you can't get back into that box so you have to hurry to go get your stuff and basically take a boat from your place to get to mine which sets the clock a running so yeah he's, he's he set it off he died and that I've taken that all down, and I'm not going to do that anymore. But I wanted to think twice about getting to my base after he, after I died. It wasn't nice of me, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, no more Minecraft, I promise. I also watched that uh, everything great about uh, YouTube vid, and I watched uh, the, the one about uh, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, and then I started. Right from the prequel beginning, and so I watched the prequels one too. It was very nice. It was very cool. Just like, uh, <clears throat> and um, I agreed with a lot of what he said, and uh, I just, I think it was, I think, I think it was pretty cool. Because I, I'm just, you know, I'm sick of the whole hate thing. Got Vernon started on it again uh this weekend when, when so, has he ever stopped yeah <laughs> i mean he, so and and at one point he just like you can't deny that this is seriously just an awful movie and he just stares at me and i'm like eh oh come on and he you know he just gets all and we're talking rise right rise yeah of skywalker and i'm like eh, has you know he what liked it? anything in the you 21st know? century That's i don't my, i don't i mean i, I don't think let's so. be honest i mean you know and every he'll, time he'll surprise us every now and then yeah he does but, but 99 of the time oh that sucks that's yeah. terrible and oh. it, even stuff that he gets lukewarm about the more time he spends thinking about it or i think going around youtube listening mm. to assholes yeah um, he gets more and more sour on. When uh, he and I watched the first episode of Picard, he actually was like, oh, cool, they're referencing that. Oh, that's kind of neat. They're referencing... His only comment was, ah, uh, you know, I just don't like seeing him this old. And But then the next time we were at Francine and Jerry's, this was, of course, before lockdown, uh, when they asked him, what'd you think of it? He just... 
he Start, just laid into it. He laid out a flamethrower, and I was just like, "Jeez!" Uh, and and Mandalorian, he's like, oh, "Mandalorian's okay." I mean, you know, it didn't offend me or anything. Ooh la la, you know. And Filoni was actually talking. At one point, he's like, "All right, man, don't get ahead of yourself. You made an okay TV series. I mean, Jesus, Louise, you know." Oh, he's talking about Favreau. And it was just like, oh, for God's sakes, dude, just, just, just. But uh, so everything great about Rise of Skywalker was actually a nice palate cleanser. Yeah, I'll bet. And uh, it and it was there was a lot of fun to it. Actually, uh, like you said, making a good argument for the whole bloodline thing and everything like that. And um, yeah, I did. I did enjoy it. And then I started on the prequels. And yikes, he actually starts laying out a case for, you know, guys, these are actually pretty good stories. And, you know, he, he just, <laughs> and you're just sitting there going, hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, I love how he does this. Oh, look, a ship blew up in the first five minutes. Well, I thought this was going to be a slow, slow move. What happened? Oh, wait, look, Jedi fighting. And what this is supposed to take forever to get moving and, and be a slow move, you know, and he starts making fun of the, uh, the mockery of it. And that's Phantom Menace. And it was just, it was good. That was actually kind of funny. That's yeah. my type of humor, mocking the mockery. <laughs> that, that is your type of humor. Yeah, so, so. So it's been interesting. It's it, it actually I like the uh I like uh, the series and I like his comments. So yeah, he puts together a good channel. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. And he's boy, he's got a lot of them. He doesn't have any playlists though. It took me for fucking ever to find Phantom Menace because I just had to dig deeper and deeper. It wasn't like you click on Revenge of the Sith and oh, that'll lead you here and oh, that no, no, just do do do. And he's he's got everything great about anime series and stuff like that. It just he he just goes deep and deep, so it's interesting. But it, but but that was fun. That was it, actually it, fun. It, I think it all comes down to you. You get what you want out of it. Yeah. I I, I don't. I think Vernon enjoys not liking things. I I'm 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 seriously believing it was really funny because he had one vulnerable moment when uh, we were doing a drunken DVD night. He's like. Am I am I becoming one of those old men that just doesn't yes. like anything? And uh, yeah, I I I've even said as much to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in jest, but you know, mm -hmm. at and the same time, I was pretty serious too. And, and I'm it, like, it, do it you like anything anymore? Yeah, it was funny. It, it was it, he. The guy lays out a good case for it's Star Wars. Look at all the Star Wars. He would the phrase, look at all the Star Wars happening. Star Wars. This is the Star Warsiest war <laughs> that ever warred, you know. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like look at all the look at the, look oh my god. Look at the the rain hissing on the lightsabers during the fight in the rain. Come on, you know. And it was just that was uh yeah. So, Force Anchor. I didn't know there was such a thing as Force Anchor, but there he is anchoring himself with the Force. And it, it was it was funny. And I was just I was just like, yeah. I did, you know, I did like that, so. So, yeah. All right, what else you do, guys? Watched a lot of YouTube stuff. YouTube man. Yeah. I just I keep I I'll get on a subject and just go way down the rabbit hole. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I talked about the the reaction videos with the um, the voiceover artists. Uh, Nancy Cartwright was one, and ooh, <laughs> she, 
I I did not realize how many voices she has done. I mean, there's a, you know, a significant number of characters, not just on The Simpsons, but on other animated series that I didn't realize that was her or that she had taken over for another um, voice actor and then had to emulate that actor's work, which was rather fascinating. But uh, yeah, her, her reacting to people trying to do Bart Simpson or some of the other characters that she does. Nelson was the the one that seems to be the most difficult of the Simpsons characters, and she was she was being very nice about it, but you could tell that it was just like she's like, yeah, no, these are really bad clips that you picked, and you know she was being very polite. She's like, she's this person has like they're they're, they're like ninety percent of the way there. They just need to add in, and she was giving instructions on how. You do you you use your your throat or your your nasal cavity and so forth to get the different things things that I learned in film school that I was just you know had no idea when I did voiceover work in film school but uh, but yeah it just it was fascinating and then uh, let's see God I'm just I'm now I'm totally drawing a blank I I had my next thought and I just uh, I lost it although um, been watching uh, since I watched the the Back to the Future reunion. On Josh Gad's channel last week, I have watched a few breakdowns of the various things because we had talked about on the show last week where I was describing the three different, you know, because you know, like you said, Kirsten, not not a lot of people really liked that third film, and then um, uh, actually that did, reminds did not, me, a lot of people not like. I, I don't th- think, I think it, they like. It, I think was, they just like it wasn't it least a, of all. Yeah, I, it wasn't a dislike kind of thing. It was just like it was my least favorite of the three. Because I, I'll say that for it. Yeah, I, I like all three. Don't get me wrong. I think, and I, the third is a lot of fun. It is my least favorite of the three. Right. Um, I think it was the one that really kind of showed the most about that relationship between Doc and Marty, though. Of the three films, I think that particular one delve deeper into that um and i think that friendship and i think you're right i I think the reason is it is doc's story Mm -hmm. and the first two are marty's stories and so i want to see more adventures of marty mcfly and i got more doc than i wanted and less marty so i think that is the reason yeah his his character definitely developed the most in that movie of course over the course of the three films uh and that reminds me uh Jake had asked me about the whole we'll get to the that. chicken thing. Oh well, yeah, he had to... he wrote an email. Oh, okay, well so. we'll skip. We'll what? we'll put a pin in that for right yeah. now. He, but, uh, he wrote an email. Jake, I love Jake. Jake does that. Jake writes emails. What? Um, he just sends packages. Also got into the a uh, few more of the uh, uh, pitch meetings that I hadn't seen, so got caught up on some of that. Um, oh, yeah, um, I, I did a lot of. Oh, that actually reminds me. Um, Blacklist had their season finale, or I should say, their unplanned season finale on Friday, and it was a it was a fascinating. Th- I didn't know they had done this, but uh, apparently, this was the season ended in February when they they were shut down end of February in the middle of production of this particular episode, which I believe there were supposed to be two more episodes in the season, but they were halfway through with this episode when they shut down. So rather than scrap it all together, they got all the actors to do voice work from their homes and they cut together what scenes they had already shot with comic book style animation for the scenes that they, that were missing. 
And it was oh, a really neat. fascinating way for them to that is to to salvage this episode and then make it the season finale, which very wasn't cool. originally intended to be the season finale. So uh, I was I I was actually very impressed with what they had done. Not just because it was a very creative way to salvage the episode, but the execution was actually pretty good too. You know, these are these are actors that are used to performing against each other, but they actually did a pretty good job. They were recording from their own homes of capturing the inflections of the different characters. and um, I, I love the idea. Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. And, and if this continues with some of these other productions, I think that might be an interesting way to finish out seasons or, you to know. Bridge this gap. Yeah, bridge the gap because, you know, some of these series are probably not going to be able to start shooting again until the fall at the very earliest. Sure. So, anyway, I, I just that was something that uh, I reminded of, and then I wanted to. You bring mentioned up. pitch meeting. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> one thing that I was introduced to by Vernon was uh, the pitch meeting guy Ryan uh, does this thing like worst era ever or worst time ever, and uh, something like that. And basically, the it's like a somebody goes back in time. Oh yeah, I've to, seen a couple of those. And I uh, haven't. What is it? And well, it's like, uh, and it's 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 his standard thing where he is talking to you know he's playing both of the guys, and it's the rapid back and forth. And a, so a guy from our current era goes back to a decade and is talking to a person from that decade, right? And try and <laughs> and in many cases is trying to understand how it was to live in that decade. I, I assume yeah. it's filmed like pitch meetings. Same, yes. Same actor. Yeah, similar. Yeah, basically. Yes. He does a green screen background. I mean, it, it doesn't get, but it's, it, it's the same guy. And, and he, you know, he does the whole rapid fire back and forth and the, Oh wow. Okay. You know, um, you can stop talking about that now and stuff like that. <laughs> but the, that sounds great. The one funny one they did is they did recently a game show where they bring someone from an, a time to the future, and then they, uh. they talk about it. And he has a panel, so he's the host. He's got two guests who evaluate, and then you get the person. So they bring someone from 2020, and they just start in on 2020, and the two guys <laughs> are like, wow, this, this really is... This really is the worst time ever, you know, and and and, and uh, I forget all the specific jokes, but at one point, one of them goes, so what, like, nobody's allowed to go to restaurants, they have to stay home and, and get no closer than six feet to each other or something, and the guy's like, yeah, actually, that's exactly what happened, and they're like, oh, wow, this is the worst time ever, or something, something like that. And that's what the show's called, Worst Time Ever? I, You know what? It's not. <laughs> Because it's not it's it's on his own personal I, I, I channel, yes, sh- not I, on Screen Rant. I put it on the show notes, folks, but I don't know what to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, mean, I can tell you in just yeah, a second. Appreciate if you'll it. Buy me some time, Jeff. Will, buy Jeff time. Okay, so um, oh wow, well, I watched some Ozzy Man Destination Fucked. So wait, wait, wait. Sorry, what is it? Ozzy Man. Ozzy Man. As you know, in like I, like Australian man. Oh. Yeah, oh, you don't know this guy? Ozzy Man. Yeah, Ozzy Man is a, a Australian uh, a YouTuber. Okay. And uh, he, he really lays on thick with the Australian accent. And then he'll, he'll go over news items or fail videos or stuff and comment on them. So, so and, he watches videos and... 
reacts. But he he'll do things he's a, he's like a reaction video. Guy. Well, but he's doing a voiceover. Okay. So so like one oh, okay. one of the funny one was uh, it was like two uh, um, iguanas or something that were videoed fighting in an Indonesian or an Indian street or something, and so he he totally comments on it like he's a fighter comment oh. on it you know talking about it there was another one about a a mantis versus some bug or something and he did another one oh shit snakes which is uh, <laughs> like a lizard running away from a bunch of snakes and stuff like that and it gets very funny but then he also does news items he'll 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 grab uh, news items and fails and his the the one of our favorite series is Destination Fucked, where he's just like, uh, you ever see that video of the, there's a guy, they, they do a, a, a tire rolling thing where they get a big giant. And somebody gets in it? And you're right, and they oh roll my God, it. Yeah, and then that. there's this one that goes, it actually veers off the, the track and it goes down this hill and it way, it just bounces, bounces deep into. So he's narrating that and he's like, nothing like going, you know, and this is a sorry, Mandy, this is going to suck. And you're, nothing like going down with your mates and you're going right down the track and then, oh, it veers off to the side and he's going straight to destination fucked. And he just. <laughs> And then it's just bounce bend, you know, and that's the whole thing. It's just, you know, he'll he'll right. he'll lead into he'll lead into the fail and goes and destination fucked, you know. So and then he, you know, he'll, that's good. That's a good tagline. Uh huh. It is. It is. It actually. And he does them super short. He does like two or five minute videos and just pops out a quick, you know, half dozen videos and then then just closes up on it. So it's actually a lot of fun. Uh, Steve introduced us to Ozzy Man like a year ago, and then uh, Vernon was just like, "Let's watch some Destination Fucked," and so we punched it up, and, <laughs> and there it goes. Yeah, so it's actually. What'd you find, Jeffy? Uh, so the guy's name is Ryan George. Ryan George. Uh, it's his own personal channel that he has these current videos on. Uh, the one you're refer- referencing is called "The Future Is Dumb." There we go. Um, and it, it all starts off with time traveler explains or time traveler discovers, but the the category is called the future is dumb. Uh, he has other ones too, like uh, one that I had seen was called explaining to an alien, where you know it's like uh, he's meeting with an alien and describing things that happen on our planet, and the, the alien is completely dumbfounded. But uh, there's there's other little things that he does in those veins, but uh, in that vein rather. Uh, but yeah, Ryan George. Um, the future is dumb. Thank he's, you, Jeffrey. He's got okay. a he's got a little cottage industry with that little playing off himself yeah. rapid editing yeah. thing going because he does a nice job. Work at it. your own pace, man. <clears throat> there you go. Bam, 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 bam. Uh, this week uh, we lost one of our own and uh, one very, very close to us. Uh, Steve Biggs, Professor Biggs, uh, lost his mother this week. So. Uh, this episode is dedicated to her and to Biggs. Uh, he's been a strong voice in this show. and He's an I, invaluable I'm, part of the show. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm so sorry. Yeah, you have, uh, a whipsaw back and forth on how bad things were going to be and how quickly and everything like that. So definitely... Uh, Definitely uh, all the best to you, Professor. We love you, man. Yeah. Absolutely. 
need to get you back out here so we can get more of that lunatic laugh <laughs> on the show. Laughter is the best medicine. That's what I discovered through the, you know, almost two years now is that my mom has been gone. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's do some email. Email. Uh, first email, short and sweet. It's from uh, Matt B. Have you guys noticed how much your impression of Bane sounds like Deckard Kane from Diablo? You're absolutely right. <clears throat> Stay a while and listen. <laughs> absolutely. It certainly does. My God. Good catch. We were born into impressions. You were merely adopted <laughs> You're goddamn Deckard Cain. <laughs> All right. Next email is from, well, this is Jake. Hey, fuckers. So I, while I love Back to the Future trilogy, the one thing that just annoyed me about the trilogy is Marty's nobody calls me chicken bullshit. Even as a pup, I thought it was just weird that they introduced that quirk Marty has. They even gave it a musical cue, which makes it sound as if this is an old big oh shit moment this character flaw is pretty important quirk that has a huge plot device and i find it highly unlikely he would develop it 24 hours after returning to 1985 and should have been established from the beginning of the first film so torgo i task you to look 80s in the eye point one of your bony fingers at it not bony fingers fingers are not bony yeah. at all that's not you bony. got meat hands. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Did he mean your boner finger? Oh, maybe so. Oh. Mm. That is that. Which one is now that? Now that that just got weird. That is quick. Thin and bony. That went south so fast. Point one of your bony fingers at him and have our resident BTTF superfan explain this. Then have him explain how did the clock tower experiment work when Doc told Marty to hit the gas at the exact moment the alarm clock went off and Marty didn't for a full 17 seconds after it. And no, quote, because the plot said so doesn't count. Happened quarantine. Jake, all right, I'm looking you in the eyes. 80s Jeff, wow. right in the eye. Bony, a, bony finger. Boner. Lot, Two bony fingers I'll point my boner. You. That was a lot more than I was expecting to answer. Right, um, so just take the okay, first part. So the, 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 the whole chicken, chicken thing. Chicken thing. Yes, it is a ham-fisted way to highlight his distaste of being bullied and being called uh, afraid of things. Now they they lay the foundation in the first film. You know, he's when he stands up to Biff and then you know go on the the skateboard run, <clears throat> and even in the um, high school when he's standing up for George and retracts the fist, and then it's broken up by uh, by Mister Strickland. So. The foundation is there for the fact that Marty doesn't like bullies. Marty doesn't like people questioning his masculinity. It's a really terrible way to execute it because you've now added a whole thing in the second and third films that is really extremely highlighting his dislike of this. But it's also the vehicle to show the character growth through the third film when he realizes, you know, I don't care what other people say about me, you know, starting with, you know, going up against Mad Dog Tannen and then um, when Needles challenges him to the race and he decides not to race. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the greatest way for them to point it out because, yeah, it did feel like it was just suddenly inserted it in the second film. It is ham-fisted. Yes. 
and it's it is it's a way to show that the character has grown from beginning to end right and and yeah perhaps could it been handled better yes. as to why they didn't put it in the first film uh because they didn't write that yet yeah well they, and when they wrote the first film they hadn't planned on writing two additional films here's here's the things with movies and sequels uh, when they make the first movie, they don't really know what they're doing with the second one yet. They might have some yeah. ideas as to where they might want it to go, but it's not written. They haven't written character beats. They don't know how this stuff... The the, the prime example of this, because so many people know it, is Star Wars Yeah, with Luke and Leia. L- Leia was never Luke's sister until the third movie, until they, start, they started writing the third movie. Not even when they started. While they were halfway through writing Return of the Jedi... She was not his sister. When Yoda says at the end of Empire, no, there is another, they were planning on introducing a brand new character that was going to be a Jedi in the third film. And they realized they never really paid that off and couldn't with what they wanted to do. And so they're like, ah, let's just make Leia his sister. And that's why there's all that there's nothing about that in the beginning or that would hint to it because it never existed until it needed to fact deleted scene where luke starts to confess his love for leia that's taken out now going back and looking at it you're sure. it's really cringeworthy sure because because back in the day it was who's leia gonna end up with it's gonna be yep. han or i or luke i want luke to be her, her boyfriend i want han to be her boyfriend that's what the discussions were back in the 70s and early 80s because they were they weren't siblings <laughs> not they, at that point no they, they were kissing people the thing is nowadays they could be siblings and still <laughs> hook up yeah <laughs> you know man a whole new world. Uh, what was the second part of the question again? He was sec- okay, let's about- do the second yeah. part of this. Uh, then, okay, have him explain this. How did the clock tower experiment work when Doc told Marty to hit the gas at the exact moment the alarm clock went off and Marty didn't for a full 17 seconds after it? And no, because plot said so doesn't count. Well, I mean, that is definitely a instance of them trying to ramp up the drama ramp up the tension in a physics standpoint you he accelerated past the point where he was supposed to he was supposed to accelerate up to 88 and hit 88 by the time he hit that wire if he floored it prior to you know and then just hoped against hope that he could hit 88 before he hit the wire you know that's one thing so you know, it's possible he hit that wire in excess of 88 miles an hour. That's all I have to tell you. That, that just, was from that, from college level physics. Yeah, that was that actually force my time mental. equals mass times acceleration, or uh, rather, um, uh, acceleration equals mass times whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm totally blanking out on yeah. the right formula, but yeah. So <laughs> I'll give the unpopular answer because tension in the story yeah. makes it fun. Yes, and, ah, and that's it's, it's exactly what I was. You didn't saying. use and the you word know. plot at all. <laughs> See, it's time travel rules are whatever you want to make them because there isn't time travel. So you. Every time travel movie has similar rules, but every time travel movie has, has its own rules when it comes down to it. They might borrow each other's rules here and there, but each one is different. Primer is not Back to the Future. Back to the Future isn't Star Trek time travel episodes. It's They're all different that, that ideas whole, behind things. Yeah, that whole sequence is about ramping up tension. You know, Doc hanging off the clock. 
there's much easier ways that he could have gotten down and reconnected that wire in time. Instead, he loops it around there, slides down, and using gloved hands, which is, this is another one. I was like, how did Doc not you know, electrocute himself? Um, you know, He had gloves when he plugged it in, and you saw his gloves were smoking. If you go back and look, his, his gloves were, were See, smoking out of that. They thought, so they, yeah. they thought enough of this through sure. to, to put little elements in. But yeah, there, there were much easier ways for him to get down. There's no reason that that... That piece had to break off, and he's dangling from the clock tower, a la Harold Lloyd, and so forth. But I mean, you know, th- that whole sequence is about ramping up tension. The engine not starting, um, the you know, the tree falling at the last minute, and you know, all those things. So, all science fiction and fantasy falls apart under the microscope of reality. And the closer you hold that microscope, yeah, you're going to find the things that uh, Cinema Sins picks out. Because this is Cinema Sins stuff. This is the, the, the little nitpicks that they find. And nitpicking can be fun. Yes. How, how does the plot not work? It's its own fun game. Well, it's kind of um, like, yeah, it's kind of like what I said last week. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect film. But there are a few that come close. Sure. But the, but the microscope will, will always break down a film. Yeah. And because that's not what they're about. They're about having a good time and creating enough of a a reality and enough of their own rules and following those just enough to make it a fun movie. Because that's the ultimate goal of all of it. Was it movie movie Bob that had that one about plot movie plot holes? Is like if you if you analyze it close enough, almost every film has plot holes. Sure. Yeah. But we either use our own imaginations to fill in those gaps in in. I can't remember that, but yeah, I'm was pretty it, sure it, it was Movie Bob. Was it Movie Bob or was it Movies with Mikey? Mm, it could have been either, because both of them have, I think, addressed that issue before. Yeah, I know that because one of the one of the um, points brought up in in whichever one we're talking about, they mentioned if something could have happened off screen that that solves the yeah question, then it's not a plot hole. Yeah, you know, fine point. Yeah, it it it's so. Which, and, by the way, if you have not seen the movies with Mikey, it's a two parter about Star Trek um, Phase Two, which led into Star Trek the Motion Picture. It's brilliant. The first one is about an hour long. Second one's like uh, 30, 40 minutes long. But definitely watch both parts. It's amazing. It it's so well done. So far, that man can do no wrong. Yeah, Mikey Newman is amazing. So hope that hopefully that answers your question, Jake. But <laughs> prob- probably, probably not. not to your satisfaction. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's get into some weekend geek. Whoa! <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> Jeff uh-huh. was not prepared. Ah, uh, now we got. See, I got to turn my game up now because I can't just fool Andy anymore. I got to fool Jeff, and that's not easy. <laughs> CBS All Access has ordered a Discovery spinoff entitled Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Oh, I'm so happy about this. Written by Akiva Goldsman, the show will focus on the USS Enterprise adventures of Captain Pike, played by Anson Mount, number one by Rebecca Romaine, and Spock, played by Ethan Peck, in the decade before Kirk. Quote, when we said we heard the fans outpouring of love for Pike, number one, and Spock when they boarded Star Trek Discovery last season, we meant it, Kurtzman said. These iconic characters have a deep history in Star Trek canon, yet so much of their stories have yet to be told. With Akiva and Henry at the helm, the Enterprise, its crew, and its fans are in for extraordinary journey to, to, to new frontiers in the Star Trek universe, unquote. 
Uh, the streaming service is also working on an animated comedy, Lower Decks, from Mike McMahon, a Section 31 spinoff with Michelle Yeoh, uh, Michelle Yeoh's Philippa Georgiou, and a CG animated kid show for Nickelodeon. Kirsten, you got your wish. Yeah. Yay. Right? It's like, it's like It literally is like the worst kept secret over the last year uh, because it's been hinted at. The actors have have kind of let a little bit slip, but it's now official. Yeah. It's as official as it can be. That's great. I'm, I'm very happy about that. I just hope there isn't the season doesn't end with Pike dying and then being resurrected. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is going to be fun. I, I mean, assume I'm that's gonna... a reference to another series. What? No. Uh, what? Uh... What? No. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm, I'm I, I'd like to. I, I hope they continue it out of that timeline past where he was on the Discovery, but they could jump back to. Because in Short Treks, um, when he meets Number One and Captain Pike, and then there was a, there was a second Short Trek where he's um, interviewing a um, new officer for the, or I should say, he's in a simulation testing the the courage of this new officer. But uh, uh, so that first Short Trek jumps back to when Spock first joins the Enterprise, and then Discovery. It's several years after. Um, meeting the Telosians, so I'm I'm interested to see where they're going to set the series. I hope they set it post Discovery because I would love to see that leading up to mm-hmm. when Kirk takes over. Yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be the handoff. It could just be leading up to, or you know, he's like I'm retiring, and then they sail off into the quote unquote sunset, and, and then you never actually have to see the handoff. And then you can have a scene where Robert April shows up. And then you get a new prequel series right. with Robert April, first captain of the Enterprise Constitution class. Because yeah, the only he's only appeared in that one animated series episode, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. he's he, been he's been referenced. He's in the Bible. Yes, but uh, yeah, he's in the Bible, and I believe he's been referenced in one of the series. Yeah, so that that's I think it is just the animated. I but, thought they rep- referenced him in Enterprise. Oh, did they? That would make but sense. But it was it, it wasn't Captain Robert Abel. I think it was just Oh, I remember it was uh in uh in a mirror darkly, um when they're oh. showing the captains of the Enterprise and they showed Kirk and Pike and April it was listed on that okay. data screen. There you go. But it was one of those blink and you'll miss it kind of things. Yeah. But a nice touch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's what's nice to me is we will not be starving for Trek anytime soon. I, I, I love that they're branching out with it. I'm I haven't seen the second season of Discovery, but I loved that first season. Yeah. And so I, I know it's in good hands. So, yeah, bring it on. More Trek in this timeline. Do it. Do it, do it, do it. Oh, that reminds me. I, I watched a few Star Trek fan films on YouTube oh. this week, some that I hadn't seen before. The one that I really liked was in the vein. Uh, they had taken Starship. Uh, Starship? Starship Farragut. Oh. Jeez, I can't talk today. I know the feeling. Starship Farragut, which was a a fan film. They ran a few of them. It was kind of co-produced with the same people that did Star Trek Continues. At one point, they did two animated episodes in the exact same style of Filmation's animated. That's right. It was was brilliant and so well done. I I want to see that. Check those out. I'll I'll try to send you the links, Kirsten. Yeah. uh, Yeah, check check it out. Starship Farragut. If you just search Starship Farragut on... um, 
on YouTube, you'll see the the live action ones, and then you'll see the. Yeah, I know you guys. Are, no, no, oh, I I used to But yeah, the animated one's hilarious. I realize I, the Farragut is a. It's. I realize why that's the name of a ship. <laughs> It's, you, it, it, it just doesn't... Uh, you know what gets me? It, it doesn't have the punch of some of these other names. All of these Enterprise ships, they're always, you know, it's like Enterprise Constitution class, Enterprise Galaxy class, Enterprise uh, uh, Constellation class, I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? I think that was, yeah, I think that was the C. And, and it was just sort of like... Why, why? Why isn't there just like a enterprise class? That's an interesting because it in in the Mister Scott's Guide to the Enterprise, which is sort of canon. It just depends on who we talk to when they refit the Enterprise. That became the Enterprise class, supposedly. So anytime you saw the swoop back nacelles and the no, that refit version. If you ever saw another ship, okay. yeah, I know. If you ever saw another version of that ship that was an Enterprise class? I hate those okay. explanations. Okay, what can, if it can happen off screen? It's not a plot hole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> next time I talk to the Akutas, I'll see if it's canon for you, Kirsten. Well, it's just like really. Is that what it's going? Let you know. Let go. Ah, okay. Well, because the the Enterprise in motion picture was refit. It was a refit Constitution class. Right, right. But we know they have built other ships. Oh, yeah. the 1701A was a, pur- know, was a keep purpose. keep blowing them up. Yeah, was a purpose-built ship that was just renamed the Enterprise. Right. So. After a writing campaign. And, right. You know, which is like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know uh, that Harve Bennett had, his original plan was after the Enterprise was destroyed, once they brought all the crew back, he was going to put them all on the on the Excelsior. That was a plan for future films. Yeah, I, 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 I remember I had, something about that. Yeah, I had no. I mean, and I know they did that in the comics, but I didn't realize that was his plan until he got all the letters of people just saying how much it was an impact. It was like losing another character. The Enterprise yeah. was a character, and I guess Roddenberry even brought it up to his attention. Is like. Is like the ship's not just a ship; it's another character in the series. So. Well, you, you know, it was also it puts me in mind of uh, the space shuttle because uh, they had the big publicity campaign about name the that first space shuttle Enterprise, and you know later on realized that that was a mistake because they yeah. they made a test shuttle, yeah, the Enterprise. And, of course, it was even funny because NASA didn't fully cop to it. They said, we're naming it after a famous warship from World War II. And it was just like, what? But, you know, they had the everybody there for the right. the inaugural. But We're naming it after the, the, the ship, yeah, wink, wink. But basically, it was put on a 747. They went up in the air. They released it, and it glided down like twice or something. Oh, it was more, and, more, than, more and, than that. And, and then it was put in the Smithsonian. And it was like, oh shit! We really needed one of the the functioning it's, ones to be Enterprise, so you could have an Enterprise launching every couple of years for you know fifteen, twenty years. Sure. And it was just Until like it blows up. Then you have the oh, Constitution class next. Oh my god! The, <laughs> the Enterprise is one of those weird eras and inter- interesting areas of NASA history because it is a from a 
framework and technology standpoint, it is a full space shuttle. It was simply never equipped with all the various things that you would need to make it able to go into space. So, I mean, it had the same computers that were sure, in Sure, sure, sure. And it had all, you know, it was built with the same structural components that were being duplicated to, to build the Columbia Challenger, etc. But it was never intended to go into space. Right. Because then they would have to put the life support systems in that were still being developed at that time. You, and you, you realize Jeff is, is actually writing a movie right here. He is, right here. I mean, dude, seriously, could you imagine? We need a shuttle. And they go to the Smithsonian and they grab the, okay, we got we got 72 hours to, to make this thing space worthy. Right. <laughs> to well, go get the asteroid. We've seen this movie. Well, it's funny you say that because at one point, especially after the, the loss of Challenger, they had looked at taking the uh, Enterprise and seeing if they could outfit it to be space worthy. And they said it would have been cost prohibitive. And so well, that's when you have John Hurt pipe in on video and go, want to go for a trip or whatever. That yeah. Is. Make it a heist movie. There you go. But um, heist then, the so enterprise. They, they yeah. built Endeavor well, sure, later on. Sure. It, it. I mean, it was a test shuttle and stuff. But I just, yeah. from a kind of like a PR cultural touchstone sure. moment. I was. I suddenly realized. Oh shit! It's never going to go into space. We, we. Yeah, but also, every couple of years, and the Enterprise launches. You know, and it's like you, yep. the Enterprise goes into space and it does stuff, and we talk about the Enterprise in space, and this happens every two, two and a half years or something. And no, we just we did the we did the the test flights, and 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 so I was sort of like, oh damn, we actually screwed the pooch on that. Darn it. And they didn't put it directly in the, the Smithsonian right away. They used it for a lot of other testing of various equipment. Sure, but still. Throughout the shuttle program before, just, they, before they retired well, it officially. Yeah, I know you can have that scene where Gary Sinise is in there while the Enterprise, the, the, the Challenger people are trapped in space <laughs> and he's trying to figure out how to get them home. But um, I just, yeah. I was always, I, I in retrospect, I was kind of sad about that. No, Although, I, I got you. Todd brings up a very good point. I do? So, yeah. Heist. No, it oh, just, oh. it you know, blowing up. Because wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the, the Columbia, the Columbia was the first, wasn't the Columbia the first shuttle to actually start launches and functioning? Yes. And Columbia was the second disaster we had, right? Wasn't that the one yeah. that descended? Yeah. So if it had gone that way, it would have gone that way. Well, I don't know. With J.J. Abrams, every enterprise gets destroyed. So <laughs> Yeah, there's know. there's a whole interesting timeline with that because you have OV-99, which became Challenger, which was going to be developed as a testbed shuttle, and OV-100, which became enterprise and then ov101 which became columbia now they went back and took the ov99 and outfitted it with all the equipment necessary to make it space worthy and that became challenger so in the in the actual timeline of construction challenger was the first to go enterprise never flew in space and then columbia was the second to go yeah and that in you know and Yes, Columbia was the only one that was completely um, constructed and made space worthy and first to fly, but it was third in. Now, not to get too geeky, but 
have you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need you to go ahead. (laughs) You're Um, the wrong podcaster. (laughs) Um, When when they finally retired the shuttle program, Uh were the reasons given that it run its course and blah 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 and unmanned? They they progressed to the point it was cheaper. Was was that all the real reason, or was it like after the second accident they were like, "Fuck, we um, gotta stop"? Yeah, this. Well, there are a multitude of reasons. The most important of which was that just it was becoming cost prohibitive to launch shuttles. Um, the vehicle was designed in the late '60s, early '70s, um, and then flew for thirty years. B fifty two is going longer. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that's that's a whole that another... fucker's going to go for a century. There's going to be 100 year old planes, but it was in service. It was it was costing almost a billion dollars per launch of the shuttle at that point in time. So well, Elon um, Musk does that every and, weekend. And also, what what ended up becoming pill he takes what ended up becoming the Orion, which is the the new capsule that is going to be quote unquote America's new. Um, spacecraft, <laughs> which is, what is it, uh, 15 years behind schedule now? Um, at any rate, that was what was going to take over. But, uh, in fact, they were planning on retiring the shuttle years earlier than they had, but uh, they kept it till 2011 to finish out yeah. areas of building the space station and so forth. Speaking of, so, you see the space station go over Las Vegas a few days ago? Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. Couple days ago. Oh, I read something. Yeah, bright in the sky, like a slow moving. uh, Damn it. Shooting star. I missed that. Jeff, I depend on you for this sort of stuff. I I didn't catch it in any of my news feeds. I'm kind of disappointed now because space.com is one of my news feeds. Yeah, passed over Vegas. Well, thanks for letting us know, Todd. You're welcome. It was great. Mm. Torgo is a wang after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that don't listen to the propaganda. But hashtag team buts, Torgo. But 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 <laughs> uh we lost some people this week. Actor Fred Willard has died. He was eighty six oh. years old. Yeah, that was terrible. Willard made his name in comedy. He's best known for his appearances in Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, For Your Consideration, and A Mighty Wind, all mockumentaries. His other film cr- include uh, Anchorman. Harold and Kumar to go to White Castle, and this is Spinal Tap. He also betrayed Frank Lee Dumphy in Modern Family, and one of his final roles will be as Fred Naird on the Steve Carell Netflix comedy Space Force. Oh, I didn't know he was going to be in Space Force. His voiceover work includes The Batman, Scooby-Doo, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Wally, and Kim Possible. We also lost Martin Pascoe, the Emmy Award-winning comic book and television writer. He was 65. A lifelong comics fan, Pasco wrote letters to comic columns and contributed to fanzines before writing for comics in 1972. By 1974, he became a regular contributor for several titles for DC Comics, including Superman, DC Comics Presents, Superman Family, Justice League of America, Wonder Woman, and Saga of the Swamp Thing. In addition to writing comics, Pasco also wrote and served as a story editor for television in the 1980s working on such shows as Max Headroom, Buck Rogers of the 25th Century, and The Twilight Zone, and animated series including Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, G.I. Joe, and Thundar the Barbarian. In the 90s, he worked as writer and story editor on Batman the Animated Series, for which he won a Daytime Emmy. 
1993, he co-wrote the feature film Batman Mask of the Phantasm. God, 65. That's just, that's too young. He worked a lot. Yeah. Uh, It's funny. I'll always remember Fred Willard for uh, our friend Klingon Mark. Oh, yeah? When Mark uh, was doing the interloper the alien, his alien yeah. stand-up thing, and he appeared on the last comic... Last comic standing. Last comic standing. And uh, Willard actually kind of paid him uh, an ultimate compliment because he's like, I don't see... I, You don't need the gimmick. He, he treated the interloper as a gimmick, which kind of bothered Mark, but at the same time, he gave him a re- real praise because he's like, I don't, see, I don't see you needing the gimmick. You don't need it. You got it. You you can be, I think you can be a good comedian. You know what you're doing. I don't see the the need for uh, for the costume and the props. And it was, I mean, it, it it was not exactly what Mark wanted to hear. But at the same time, it was it was nice praise. Yeah. So Kathy and Jimmy just stared at Mark like she was yeah. terrified he was going <laughs> to go off the. It was weird. Yeah. But but yeah, he actually was very nice to him. So that was I always remember that story. Epic revealed its upcoming build of the Unreal Engine 5 in a 10-minute demo video that, according to technical director of graphics Brian Karras, was powered by a PlayStation 5 titled Lumen in the Land of Nanite. The demo runs in real time and features a Laura Croft-like character in the ruins of a Tomb Raider-style temple. Uh, There's plenty of light tech talk in the video, but the bottom line, as Karis puts it, is imbuing the next generation of games, quote, with movie-like effects that players control, unquote. Uh, Ancient statues gleam with detail down to the pixel. Uh, Insects scattered on the floor wherever you shine your light, and far horizons retain the same graphical fidelity as the closest nearby object. Unreal Engine is one of the biggest game-making toolkits around, if you've played games or watched TV, chances are you've already exposed to it. Uh, previous editions of Unreal have been used to make games like Star Wars Jedi, Fallen Order, Borderlands 3, Mortal Kombat 11, Batman Arkham Asylum, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Unreal renderings turn up everywhere from the Weather Channel to car commercials. The behind-the-scenes VFX reel that ILM showed off to explain how they created the lavish landscapes and interiors for Season 1 of The Mandalorian, that was all done in Unreal Engine. The current version of Unreal Engine 4 is still going strong, and both the PS5 and Xbox Series X are equipped to take on the early wave of games already in the works, with Unreal Engine 4 and 5 that will launch when the new consoles debut this fall. Uh, Epic says Unreal Engine 5 should be ready sometime uh, late next year. I am always excited when Unreal unveils a new engine. have you? Did you see the demo? Yes. And what's, that is fucking incredible. And I watched it on something that couldn't capture the entire fidelity of it, oh. which is even more amazing. I watched it on my big screen, and I'm sitting there going, these textures for the, the background, the, yeah. photorealistic. Yeah, it looks like you're in a real cave. Yeah. There, there's nothing digital about it. And then when they showed the dynamic lighting where they were altering you know let's say you know it's later in the day and the sun has moved and i'm just like my jaw was on the floor and i'm sitting here looking at this going i'm like this looks so incredible in 1080p i would love to see what this looks like in 4k that's exactly it because oh my god because they kept talking about how it's 4k photorealistic blah 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 blah, you know going in all the technical details (laughs) i had to go watch it a second time because i was just so fascinated i had tuned out so much 
of the the talking heads describing what was going on because I was so focused on the imagery. So, anyway, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, it was fantastic. I, I, I just can't say. It. Did I've you see it? Kay? No, I haven't watched it yet. I have to. I've seen. I've seen stills. I've seen vidcaps, which looked dazzling. Because in fact, when I first passed over them, I thought, you know, somebody had put up a picture, and then I saw what I was looking at read what I was looking at and was pretty stunned by it. I can hardly uh, wait to watch the demo myself. And yeah, like you said, 4K would be really interesting. It's um, I like what um, they were talking about with the light too because it was like that whole you know natural light and it's backscatter kind of effects. Just like they where, were talking yeah. on Mandalorian. I, did Mandalorian use this engine or did they use an older one? I think they used Unreal one? 4. Wow. If I'm not mistaken, wow. they used um, Unreal 4. Because if but, they, they start... They start using this one. It's that that's one of the interesting things about the whole setup that uh, that really really gets me. Like I think I mentioned once before, I've always been amazed when uh, they were making uh, <clears throat> Lord of the Rings, yeah. and they did the virtual sets where you could put on, where you could be a cameraman inside the set. And it sounds like that coupled with this could actually really produce some amazing, amazing stuff that you could you could do, um, in yeah. a, in a in a, a virtual environment. It's, uh, Unreal Four was released in 2012. That's how old this engine is, and That's it's crazy. gotten us this far. They don't release a new engine until technology has advanced far enough that it makes a true impact it's not right. like they do incrementals yeah i mean they it's a, it's a game engine it always gets tweaked but they when the next one comes out that means there has been a step up in technology no dlc or loot box it doesn't work that's not <laughs> it's a development engine so it, this is really exciting news in video games and frankly in in entertainment yeah i i can't wait to see what they'd be able to do with the virtual sets with with unreal 5 because they were already saying in the Mandalorian they had to do some minor um, tweaking in post, you know, eliminating the the sometimes you would see the separation between the the ceiling part and the right. and the walls, and then they'd have to do a little tweaking to enhance certain things. But overall, they said it really streamlined the production. So now I'm wondering, you know, you've got brighter projectors, you've got much more realistic lighting effects. Because that was the other thing too, you know. You're you're going to be able to control the lighting better with UE five or with Unreal five rather, and the, the 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 potential is limitless. It literally is. I mean, my I, I can't even put into words all the things that are running through my brain right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know no, all the possibilities. It's exciting. It makes you really wish you had won the lottery so you can right. just 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 build your own little your own holodeck <laughs> yeah yeah just just get that that uh, get the uh three walls or even a four wall and ceiling oled studio yeah. and then just set up the whole thing and just and go to town go to town go absolutely apeshit it's great i did i i'd watched a couple of episodes of mandalorian since watching the the vfx and mm -hmm. it's fun now to just sit there and see if you can figure out what's yeah. what's a real set piece what's the and practical what's a, yeah. foreground and what's the back and all that stuff and just marveling when you sit there and look at stuff and you're just like jesus that's all that's all fake right there now but bear God. in mind I, you know i i don't want to take away from the 
incredible nature of what they were doing, but they did do some location shoots mm-hmm. for, for Mandalorian. So, I mean, it's not all done on the soundstage. They did just a lot of incredible things on the soundstage that would have been much more difficult to do yeah. in a in a location shoot. But think but, about the, think once this, I mean, right now that that's all insane money too. Because yeah. think about getting to the point where where you can do something on a, even even a slightly subpar Mandalorian quality, but it's like amateurs. That just that that suddenly hits an element of exciting. I was just still amazed yeah. that that the first uses of this were for commercials, for television commercials. Uh, you know, it it I'm shit. It makes sense. Follow the money. That's I mean, true. They, they're they're they, 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 people will pay more for commercials. Yeah, and they'll they'll drop uh, they'll drop the dime. And 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 because if you can get an eye popping commercial, that can actually make a difference. I still love yeah. you know seeing how much money is spent on commercials sometimes, and then people balk at the amount of money that gets spent for an entire movie. It's like, yeah. So the, they'll spend fifteen million for a three minute commercial, but then they balk at spending twenty five million to make a. 92 yeah. 120 minute movie it's insane. <laughs> it was like and and we had that period in the 80s where music yeah. videos were mm-hmm. also like a big groundbreaking yeah. uh, tool yeah. most expensive music video ever yeah and then until next week <laughs> and, and yeah and they they did breakthroughs in film technique and and vfx and everything yep. and you had people like uh 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 fincher fincher Spike Jones didn't Spike Jones yeah. come? Oh, oh yeah, the the real the real auteurs. Yeah, they, they he came out of videos, mm-hmm. right? Just like Ridley Scott came out of commercials yep. in the time before uh, music videos. Didn't his brother Tony also come out of I believe commercials so. and something like I, I think seem to remember. Yeah, Michael Bay came out of videos. Yeah, that's all right. True. Let's not get excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talking about breaking ground, I still remember when the uh, the cars you might think video came out and that was yeah. such a blend of different technologies and then using video compositing and it was so new and very groundbreaking when it came out and i'm like nothing's ever going to eclipse this this is amazing and then <laughs> you know and then like a few months later i'm like okay this is this and, is and now amazing. you look at it you're just like Ooh, we we really got it's kind of cheesy we got wowed by this yeah then you and, got m's pop music video and then right. that just blew us all away <laughs> deep cuts look it up kids deep it's cut, out there deep cut. <laughs> really don't it's, there's no reason to watch, watch that video it's pretty awful it, but in that fun way <laughs> that fun early 80s music videos we don't know what we're doing with way the most exciting background singers you've ever seen <laughs> yeah a percy jackson series is coming to disney plus the two film adaptations, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, uh, The Lightning Thief, and Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters, came from the Fox studio, so they came under ownership of Disney after the acquisition. Ah. Quote, we can't say much more at this stage, but we are very excited about the idea of a live-action series of the highest quality following the storyline of the original Percy Jackson five-book series, starting with The Lightning Thief in season one, author Rick Rordian said in a statement. Rest assured that Becky and I will be involved in person in every aspect of the show. Does that mean the movies didn't exactly follow the series? Uh, I don't know. I I saw both movies. I didn't think they were that bad. I mean, 
I don't know enough about this the book series to, you know, compare the two, but um I think the only reason they didn't make that third one was that the actors were starting to age out because uh, they were already moving into the, you know, you already had mid 20 somethings playing teenagers and then, you know, playing, yeah, well, playing, playing people of their age in the graduating next movie. high school now and now we <laughs> yeah. got to go fight Kerberos down in Hades. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't know how they compare to the. The actual books, but uh, I know there was originally supposed to be three films. Sure, and they did trilogy. the two, and then didn't. I can't remember how they trilogy. did the box office. So, All right, gotta have a trilogy. Just don't call them chicken. <laughs> R.L. Stein's beloved Goosebumps books are returning to TV from series uh, from series from publisher Scholastic and producer Neil H. Morris. Morris has an overall deal with Sony Pictures Television and produced two live-action film adaptations starring Jack Black as Stein. This isn't the first time the young adult horror novels have had a show. A Goosebumps anthology series ran for 74 episodes between 1995 and 1998 on YTV in Canada and Fox Kids in the United States. It's unclear whether Moritz will go for a similar anthology approach or mash up Stein's mythos as he did in the two films. Together, the duo of big screen adaptations brought in over $250 million in the worldwide box office. With over 200 books to its name, the Goosebumps brand currently spans $2 billion multimedia brand of spinoffs, games, and other assorted merchandise around the globe. Stein is also famous for his Fear Street series, which was headed for the big screen at 20th Century Fox. But now with the studio owned by Disney, it's unknown if those movies will get made. Writer-director Neil Paik, sci-fi short story, Rainbow Fish, A Scumbag's Guide to Stealing Water, Traversing Wormholes, and Breaking Every Rule. That's a title. Yeah. Is headed for the big screen. Published by 6x8 Press, Rainbow Fish is set in a borderless future where the oceans have all but disappeared and the world is ruled by the mysterious global police, which have imposed tyrannical laws on Earth's inhabitants. The plot reportedly follows a young water scavenger and a rebellious orphan whose lives collide in the most unexpected way. Uh, Pike, who is uh, known mostly for short films such as City of Sin and Doctor of Bragam, has been tapped to write the script for Universal. Hmm. I love that title. Rainbow Fish, a scumbag's guide to stealing water, traversing wormholes, and breaking every rule. That is a title that sells books. It just needs to have, you know, and stab your buddies in the back, and you're totally on board. Yeah. And then when it hits the movie, it'll just be called Scumbag. (laughs) 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 So I was watching a, a, a video about, like, why different projects failed at the box office and they were talking about john carter and how Mm. just really you know the the choice of title the choice of marketing and so forth just really doomed it before it even got close to the theaters yeah it did funny it's a story about a guy going to mars and they got scared of the mars part right in the title right kind of kind of tells it right there yeah four years after the development announcement Anne Rice's best-selling Vampire Chronicles have a home. AMC Networks has landed the comprehensive rights to develop Rice's Vampire Chronicle novels and her lives of the Mayfair Witches novels across their TV networks and streaming services. AMC also owns the horror streamer Shudder. 
Rice and her son Christopher will be executive producers on the project, uh, which could include both the series and film productions under the AMC banner. Uh, Roland Jones, who recently show ran season one of Fox's The Exorcist and now has an overall deal at AMC, is to take an active role in the development of the project. Uh, Rice first announced her intention to bring Vampire Chronicle series in the fall of 2016, and since then the project has bounced around in development incarnations. I believe we gave it a green light in our red light, green light round. Sure. Uh, Jeff didn't, though. Jeff I didn't? No, you had enough of vampires. Oh, yeah, Yeah. that's true. (laughs) (laughs) The Vampire Chronicles began with Rice's debut novel, Interview with a Vampire, in 1976. Right, it's been around, man. Yeah. God Almighty, and she's still alive. Yeah, Rice wrote nine more novels in the series over the next three decades before closing the series out in 2003 to pursue Christian fiction projects. In 2014, Hallelujah. In 2014, Rice returned to her vampires with Prince Lestat and has since added two more novels to the series that greatly expanded the mythos surrounding her vampires. Now, the lives of the Mayfair Witches series began with The Witching Hour in 1990, and after completing a trilogy of novels in that world, Rice began to cross the lives of the Mayfair family over with those of her vampires. Thus began the Vampire Chronicles novel Merrick in 2000 and culminated in the ninth and 10th Vampire Chronicle novels Blackwood Farm. Chronicle? You know what I meant, and Blood (laughs) Canicle. The Vampire Chronicles have been adapted twice for the big screen, first with Interview with the Vampire in 94, then with Queen of the Damned in 2002. Now, this new venture will be the first time either of Rice's beloved series have been adapted for the small screen. Uh, in those hands, I like this. I, I, it, the way I was seeing it, I was like, this is going to end up in CW's hands. And it's going to end, uh, it's not going to be like Berlanti land is going to be the ones that did the, the vampire the, diaries, uh, vampire and, all diaries and all that yeah, yeah, sure. So it aimed more for a young adult, young adult crowd with a heavy romance aspect to it. Not mm-hmm. that there isn't romance in these vampire novels. AMC, I think will make a nice balance. I, I, AMC has a really good track record of TV shows thus far. Right. And so, Yeah. I like this. And the uh, exorcist person running it. Yeah. I, I, I like this pedigree behind all this because there's a lot of good story to tell in there. There's a lot of filler too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> They're Anne Rice novels. A lot yeah. of filler. But that's, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool. It'll be cool to see, uh, see where they go and at what direction. I mean, I don't know. I'm not tired of vampires, although it's, you know, whatever. I'm not tired of vampires. I, I'm tired of trying to change vampires into something else. Uh-huh. That's what I think I'm tired right. of. I'm, uh, and th- that's literally what she did with Interview with a Vampire. That Van Rice single-handedly changed how we view vampires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She before then it was all Dracula and Hammer films, and that's how people saw vampires. Right. Well, she's I mean, the one that made them sympathetic and romantic. Well, even after her books and then the Interview with a Vampire movie. They still went back to telling the same old vampire stories with one or two little twists. Sure, know? but she's the, she's the one that said, "Oh, you can do other things with vampires." Right. That's, Let's I, see things from their point of view. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It's like it seemed like that should have been a trend moving forward, but after 
her films hit. They have. They went it, we right have, back to doing the old Twilight. formula. Yeah, Twilight is yes. a direct descendant of this. Yeah. Yeah. Although, and it's really funny because, like you said, uh, make them into something else. There's one guy <clears throat> I listened to a podcast, literally like ten years ago, and he said he make he make he makes Twilight work for him by not thinking of them as vampires, but thinking of them as like dark fae, and then he can tolerate. The, the you know the universe whatever works for you dude if you can't handle it, you can't fine whatever if you have to give yourself mind tricks in order to accept someone's story go ahead yeah mind bullets Jeez. Really i have to think of them as things that they aren't in order to enjoy a storm stop it there you go you like there a story you well if you're nope. a true fan and you're offended <laughs> jesus uh all right kids uh guess what what there are pitches over oh, here, and shit. we got to do them. Let's do some red light, green light. Oh, man. Red light, green light. Such a fun game to play. Doesn't matter what you say. They're going to make this shit anyway. Haven't we run out of ideas yet? <laughs> never gonna run out of ideas. Oh shit! You never know when you're gonna get the whole romantic thing into vampires. There's writers out there doing special things. Some of them are gonna change the way this whole story thing works. We want to hire those people. We want to get those stories out there because we want the credit and the money. Mm. That's what it comes down to. Mm. We're looking for good ideas, not just good ideas that change the way things work, but change the way that people spend their money in our direction. Okay. That's how we're doing this. All right. Our jobs are on the line. I got these pitches here. Let's see if any of them are any good. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Red light, green light, gentlemen. Sci-fi author Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Green light. Is headed to the small screen courtesy of HBO Max. Ooh. The streaming service has enlisted Paramount TV's 21 Jump Street scribe Michael Bacall and Attack the Block director Joe Cornish to adapt the 1992 dystopian cyberpunk classic. Pumice, uh, pumice? That pumice is what I need on my feet because these things are like concrete. Yeah, you, I destroy pumice stones with these things. You might want some pumice for your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Talking like you got concrete in your mouth. <laughs> Must be an hour 35 into the show. <laughs> Where was I? Where's the pumice part? Uh, yeah. <laughs> pumice, pumice. Oh, there I oh, am. Yeah. At least it wasn't pompatous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Published in 1992, Snow Crash is an epic adventure set in the 21st century after a global economic collapse. When big business reigns, everything has become privatized and people, even armies, live in sovereign gated communities called burbclaves. Are you sure this is a future novel? <laughs> yeah. yeah <no. laughs> Enter hero protagonist, a Love hacker it. and pizza delivery driver who works for the mafia and whose avatar is a warrior prince in the metaverse, a virtual reality successor to the internet. In the metaverse, heroes offered Snow Crash, a narcotic that turns out to be a data virus. When the drug takes out a fellow hacker, hero and younger skater slash courier named YT embark on a mission to stop an assassin that's planning on using Snow Crash to bring about an infect... Inf, info... <laughs> 
Fuck your words. <laughs> and infocalypse. Infocalypse. Infocalypse? Infocalypse? No. <laughs> infocalypse. I like that. And infocalypse. In- infopolic? Infopocalypse? Frank Marshall, the producer behind the Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, and the Bourne movies, along others, will oversee the series, while the L Words, Angela Robinson, will serve as showrunner. Stevenson, whose other cyberpunk novels include The Diamond Age and Cryptonomicon, will executive produce. This sci-fi classic going to HBO Max, Snow Crash. Red light, green light. I'm really excited, too, if... uh if HBO Max is going to continue the HBO tradition of wonderful series. Because if they do that, this is this is just going to be fun. Green light. Yeah. Green light through yeah, and through. Green light. Uh, I've been poo-pooing HBO Max for ages now. Poo-poo, and I still poo-poo. am. Uh, right. However, their slate of shows is looking really good. I mean, not that they got this. They got Green Lantern. Uh don't make me no. I don't want to subscribe to goddamn. Oh, right, you know what? I I probably will, but give it at least a year. To, I mean, this stuff's not coming yeah. anytime soon. No, well, there you go. You That's know. true. Yeah, at least a year away. But I'm glad to see it coming. You know, do and do the Gunter method when it. Uh, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You subscribe to it, forget for a few months, and yeah. then you let it go. You watch everything. Yeah, and you're uh. good. <laughs> but when yeah, we, when are we going to start calling it the Matt method? Because he's the one that let it run <laughs> for months. <laughs> I let it go for like Jeff. a month extra, and then you know suddenly I'm the Jeff. asshole. The Matt <laughs> method is to heroically go into the fire and pull the bodies out. Yeah, it is to save lives. Yes, Jeff. yes. The Matt method is life saving. It is hero dumb. He is hero protagonist there in this you story. Go. You, he you, he puts it on the line. Yeah, you subscribe to series and forget <laughs> to unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Gunther puts it on the line and then forgets that he put it on the line. Three months later, he's like, oh shit. Why is this bill so high? Oh, that's why. <laughs> the Gunther Chronicles. <laughs> Story of a subscriber made romantic and sympathetic by Anne Rice. <laughs> Gunter Chronicles 2, don't call in chicken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, so green light across the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's, that's, that's beautiful. That yeah, one makes me yeah. smile. I, I love it, too, because that novel is just a wonderful cyberpunk novel. And Stevenson wrote it as like a, a parody of cyberpunk. It was supposed it was supposed to be a nail in the coffin of the cyberpunk genre. And hero protagonist. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's a clever little poke. Yeah. And 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 um, it just turned into one of these it just became its own phenomenon. <laughs> it is awesome. Just wow. awesome. I haven't read any of his stuff including Snow Crash, and it's been recommended many times. Oh, i got to read Snow Crash. It's fun. Ne- next Geek Shock book club book. <laughs> his, his stuff's pretty dense, but, uh, but yeah. Right now we're discussing uh, uh, On a Pale Horse by Piers Anthony. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, about three-quarters of the way through it, getting close. Uh, but uh, again, this is the fourth time I've read it, and I mean, I'm enjoying it still. It still has its dated aspects, without a doubt. Um, 
But yeah, we'll be doing uh, nominations before long, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if someone nominates it. There you go. Nominated. Give it a nominated. All right, here we go. Here's another one. Red light, green light. Adrian Brody will star in a 10-episode epics-produced miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's 1978 horror story, Jerusalem's Lot. Peter and Jason Filardi are penning the project, which is being produced by genre maven Donald DeLean, who did uh, Ready Player One and Wayward Pines. Set during the mid-19th century, the adaptation is set to feature Brody as Captain Charles Boone, a father who moves his three children to the family's ancestral home in Preacher's Corners, Maine, after Mrs. Boone dies at sea. Once there, Charles must confront the dark and sordid past of the Boone family, which may or may not involve black magic and cosmic beings beyond the veil of human comprehension. In the biggest change from its source material, the miniseries gives Charles children. In the short story, he's a single man who only has his manservant, Calvin McCann, for company. Jerusalem's Lot is not to be confused with Salem's Lot. That's the 1975 horror novel by King. Uh, the title Salem's Lot refers to a fictional town in Maine that King would return to three years later for Jerusalem's Lot, a Lovecraftian short story that takes most of its influence from Lovecraft's Rats in the Walls story from 1924. Uh, much like Dracula or Frankenstein, uh, Jerusalem's Lot is told via the Gothic-inspired uh, epistolatory style. It was first collected in the Night Shift Collecting in 1978, and Epics is looking to shoot the miniseries in Halifax, Canada. Uh, well, they were supposed to shoot in May, but that is not going to happen. Uh, but then I toured a fall premiere. Obviously, that's getting pushed back. So, Epics, Jerusalem's Lot, based on the Stephen King short story, 10-episode miniseries, Red Light, Green Light. Yeah, Green Light. Yeah. Cosmic beings from beyond. <clears throat> Why not? Green light. Let's do this. I just, I, for some reason, we, I just, I'm not familiar with Jerusalem's Lot. I, 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 it I is know one of the old, his oldest stories, without okay. a doubt. Yeah, it's, unless you read Night Shift, you're not going to be familiar oh, okay. with it. Okay. Uh, because that's what, when you started talking about it, I was like, that's not Salem's Lot. And then I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. He said, he said Jerusalem's Lot. So it was right. taking it, me a moment to it's process. It's connected to it story wise. Right. But it's, it's, yeah, it's its own okay. creature. Uh, sure. Why not? Green light. Uh, I'm giving it a tentative green. Tentative? Yes. Why? Uh, mostly because it's a miniseries. I'm nervous that it's 10 episodes long. It's not a oh. long story. Okay. Uh, the fact that they've ad added children to it. To uh, What? That's like Colorado Space. <laughs> Colorado Space. <laughs> Colorado <laughs> Space. <laughs> and that is the first thing I'm struck by when I think of this, this, this description with the whole story thing. Sure. Because it's... Ten does seem kind of long for a short story. Yeah, and so I I'm, unless they're you know ten forty minute long episodes, and then maybe you know we'll yeah sure depends on the writing. And I don't know if they're going to keep it the period or if they're going to do it modern. I'm assuming they're going to do it modern. Uh, so I'm tentative green light because one cosmic horror. I'd like to see more of it on TV. Epics another thing. Um, they got less rules. They can tell a nastier story. And uh, this one kind of needs the nasty to make it work. Oh, yeah. So. The nasty. And, and being, uh, I do like the story by King. So <clears throat> I could more see this as a four to five episode thing. So going to 10 is what makes me a little nervous. 
And as long as they don't plan on expanding it, which they really can't unless they that's what the children are for. So, yeah. So green light, but boy, I'm a little nervous about it. As long as it's not like five, or excuse me, like ten two-hour episodes, I think it'll be all right. If it's, <laughs> yeah. if it's, if it's ten one hour or ten, sure. like I said, 40-ish minute ones, sure. it'll and, probably and, be okay. And they could definitely, I mean, they can make it work. I mean, ten, ten hours to tell this story. Because I do the way it goes. I do not yeah. like when they take a short story and expand it out into like a full season, and then suddenly that short story becomes a a series, and you've got like two or three seasons, and it's like, when are you going to get to the <laughs> the climax of the storyline? Because you're two seasons in, and you're nowhere near. Case in that point, was, the mist. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say under the dome. Well, that, that's well, that's, that's based on a huge novel, so that that didn't need to expand as much as they expanded it. I know. I could not. It's a thousand page novel. I just it, it, I, I kept waiting for them to get somewhere with it. I'm like, I gave I gave up. I never finished it. They they, they started well, and then they just started yeah. drawing things out, and it yeah, it just became became unwatchable. And yeah, the second season, I, they lost me in the second season. I was just like, nope, I'm done. And you can see them doing that with the Mist series as well. Yeah. They're just creating all this new weird drama with people being trapped by people that accuse somebody of the, oh, no, it's not. Let's not do this. And I'm glad that didn't get a second season because fail. Oh, dear. So red light on the mist. And I love the mist. One of my favorite stories. Amazing movie. One of the best Stephen King movies ever made. The mist. My God. Gut punch of a film. <clears throat> I like that King even liked the ending. Oh. That was different than what he had. The rare written. case yeah, of a. Exactly. Movie giving a, a more amazing ending than the original story. It's, I mean, Stephen King is known for telling a good t- good tale. He's also known for not being able to wrap it up very well. And he's also notorious for criticizing changes that are made in films, well, film versions of his. Not yeah. like it's unwarranted. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. This is. But that, that's I'm, pl- I'm, I'm, I simply meant that he's not known for praising a yeah. film for making changes. Being outspoken. Yes, exactly. And so when he tips his hat in a positive direction, that right. is definitely yes. a big thing. Yes. And it was. God damn that ending. Yeah. Jesus. That was such a gut punch, too. Of course, my thought is, so so what happens? Does, does he go to court? Does he get <laughs> sure. put in the funny farm? Does... Do people go, hey, well, you know, some weird shit happened, so let's give him a pass. (laughs) And it's funny, because if you think about it, just like Dr. Sleep, there could be a King story as a sequel, right? Sure. What does he do now? And, you know, maybe he becomes obsessed with the whole Mistiverse and all that shit. what What was cool about the original Mist novella is that it did have such a nebulous ending. It's basically the missed movie, except after they leave with the car. They just drive off in the mist. They drive off yeah. in the mist, and that's pretty much where it ends. Yeah. They they see the big creature over the top with the multi-legs and so on that's the Lovecraftian beast. Uh, and that's pretty much it. They drive under its legs and continue on, and you don't know what happens to this family. And to give it such a... Hell of an ending like that. Yeah. Impressive, Darabont. Darabont, I love you. Mm-hmm. All right, we got time for one more. Okay. One more. One more. Unamas. 
Legendary Television has announced the plans to develop a TV series based on gun with occasional music. <laughs> Jonathan Lethem's 1994 satirical sci-fi novel that was nominated for a Nebula Award for Best Novel. Nominated. That's what I said. It's nominated. It's a sci-fi thing, Jeff. <laughs> Get in the nom. nom Get nom, in the nom. Nom, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Quote, the novel is a blend of sci-fi, noir, and satire set in the near future in a trippy world. Evolved animals are part of society, and government placates its citizens with free mind-numbing drugs, and the police monitor people by their karma levels. DESC gumshoe Conrad Metcalf has problems. There's a rabbit in his waiting room and a trigger-happy kangaroo on his tail. Near future Oakland is a brave new world where evolved animals are members of society and police monitor citizens by the karma levels. And I did this mind-numbing thing. <laughs> and the mind-numbing drugs like forget all and accept all are all the rage. Metcalf has been shadowing Celeste, the wife of an affluent doctor. Perhaps she's falling a little in love with her at the same time. When the doctor turns up dead, our amiable investigator finds himself caught in a crossfire between the boys of the Inquisitor's office and the gangsters who operate out of the back room of a bar called the Fickle Muse. Mixing elements of sci-fi, noir, and mystery, this first novel from author of Motherless Brooklyn is a wry, funny, satirical look at all the future may hold. John Rennick from Chernobyl will direct the series and serve as executive producer alongside David Felbot. There it is. Jonathan Lethem's Gun with Occasional Music. Red I just, light, green light. I just love the title. So uh, I green light just for that title. I just love it. I think it's crazy. It could be fun if it's done the right way. If it's done well? <laughs> if it's done well? <laughs> he almost went there. I, we haven't had one of those in a I while. I really want to green light it, but I'm trying to figure out how they would do this presentationally. Is it a live action? Is it a. Well, Jeff, there's anime? only one way to find out. Is if I green light it? And make it. Yeah, we make it ourselves. It's how it works. Yeah, green light. I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they would do with it. Yeah, yeah it's it's crazy. So because it de- it sounds is it is it going to go Roger Rabbit way? Right, or? that's what I mean. Because it, it sounds absolutely bonkers. Yeah, sentient animals with human foibles. I am all in. Please, please, please. I'll take Torgo's this over. Torgo's a closet like. furry. Oh, closet. Give me a raccoon to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Now we definitely don't want to let him around those otters. <laughs> Let's nix that uh, swimming with otters thing that we had set up for him, shock monkeys. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's it's bonkers. This whole thing is bonkers, and I'm down for bonkers. This this sounds like fun. In fact, that, that sounds like a fun read. And you know, one best novel for the Nebula. So 1994, I haven't heard of it. And yeah, with a, I hadn't And either. with a name like Gun with Occasional Music, that seems like something that would stick. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with the source material at all either. Wow. So, yeah, green lights across the board on this one, gentlemen. We've got some good pitches here. we yes. gotta, we got to make some shows once this bullshit's over. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Backlog of shit to produce. There Indeed. You go. And I got more. Uh-oh. Oh, plenty more. There's oh. more where this came from. So okay. expect more red Let's light, go. green light. But what? not right now. No? What? <laughs> What's we- your don't call me chicken? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80's Jeff. Chicken K. And we'll talk to you next week. And Professor Biggs, our love and our hearts go with you. All right. Absolutely. Amen.